I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey everyone, this is Evan, and I just wanted to, before we get started, let you know that we had some hiccups with the audio in the second half of this episode. I did my best to edit it together so it shouldn't be too distracting or too much of an issue, but I figured it would be prescient to put out a disclaimer here in case people noticed. As always, thank you so much for listening, and enjoy the episode. You're listening to Affected by Altitude, a Purple Row podcast for and by Rockies fans. Thank you for joining us as we discuss all things baseball and Colorado Rockies. Welcome to Affected by Altitude. I normally start this thing off by saying it's been a hot week, but we are finally starting to get some cooler temperatures, and I personally am absolutely stoked about it, not so sweltering as we record this Friday morning, Monday, as you are listening. As always, I am joined by my two compatriots in the Rockies media landscape, and that is Skylar Timmons. It is still very hot where I am at down here in southern Colorado. (laughs) Bummer. Okay, well that throws my whole bit out the window (laughs) and evan lang (laughs) good morning everybody it's nice and cool up here where i'm at yeah man like i don't know about you skylar but we got down to like the like low 50s upper 40s last night it was glorious (laughs) yeah we've been sitting in like still like the 70s and 80s yikes all right well i'll you know toss a prayer out for you then as always, this is Affected by Altitude, a podcast hosted, 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 in fact, by Purple Row, the Rockies affiliation of SB Nation. As always, we appreciate you joining us here to discuss everything that's happened in the Colorado Rockies organization in the last week, as well as some news and topics and things around the rest of Major League Baseball. And as always on this here program of ours, we like to start every single one of these episodes off with a bit of an icebreaker. Feel free to answer the same question that I will ask my compatriots here on Twitter. This one this week is a question about Rockies history, as so many often are. My question for both of you is, what is the best free agent trade in Rockies history? And 
I'm going to put this out there. You can't say Larry Walker because that's a pretty, you know, definitive uh, number one. But what is a what's, in your opinion, the best free agent signing or maybe an under the radar free agent signing that didn't get all the love it deserved at the time? But looking back on it has aged very well. So mine is. I have a couple. But honestly, I really want to say Andres Galarraga, the big cat, Elgato mm. Gran. Uh, we signed him in 1993 for our inaugural season, where he was coming off a not-so-good season with the St. Louis Cardinals, where he didn't really play that much, and his batting was really you know, not working out so hot. And Big Don Baylor helped him sort of retool his swing and kick things into high gear when he came to Colorado. And he became one of the greatest early Rockies, where he was an all-star in 93. He won the batting title. He finished top 10 in MVP voting. And he's still you know widely beloved as a Rocky. But his signing in Colorado also helped rejuvenate his entire career, where he kept going mm-hmm. for... A decade after that and played for multiple different teams he played for the Braves he played for the Mets for a very short period of time but it looks like his career might come to an early end in 92 after that Cardinal season and after playing with the Rockies until 97 he played until 2004 and it ended his career as a five-time all-star two gold gloves two silver sluggers and that 93 batting title absolutely yeah that's a great pick Galarraga, obviously a, a great name in Rockies history that was signed uh, through free agency. What do you say, Skyler? You got a different answer? Yeah, so for me, uh, I don't know if how under the radar it flew or it just wasn't as heralded as much or everything, but I've talked about it before of how much I love the signing of Michael Kadire mm-hmm. with the Rockies because you know for three years he was actually a fairly you know, pretty good batter in our lineup and you know, no there's still a little bit defensively that was left to be desired but that's sure expected when he's round in his mid 30 early to mid 30s mm-hmm. but you know he provided a lot of like i guess that veteran presence and you know a very solid bat in the lineup and what i just love too about michael kadir is just that personality you know every time there was an interview with him or whatever he was always just like the nicest guy uh, and just a, a people's champion, a player's champion, just the nicest of guys. And, you know, I was always really happy to have Kadire on the team. And, no, it turned out, no, he rejected the Rockies' qualifying offer and went and signed with the Mets, got us that comp pick. And I want to say it got us Tyler Nevin in that in the 2015 draft. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong, but... It netted us something like that. So, mm-hmm. no, he provided three solid years no, of a good solid bat for three years and then nets us of another prospect when he leaves and everything. So uh, he's still one of my personal favorite players. I love Michael Kadire. That's the a Cuddy man choice. can. It is. And then, that, uh, that 2013 season for Cuddy was so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he, and he also got to participate in a home run derby that I forgot about. And everything you hit for a cycle on the day they retired Todd Helton's number. Mm-hmm. Good times with Cuddy, and there was a time when I think Arenado or somebody at third got injured, 
And Kadir volunteered, like, hey, I'll go play, like, these various infield spots. And he ended up injuring his shoulder because he was filling in at one of those spots. Ultra-team player. Yeah, he was just a huge team player. And I think he did a lot of good in a Rockies uniform for the community and for the players and I think for the organization. Absolutely. It was really interesting. It was was him and it was Justin Morneau back-to-back. Yeah, mm-hmm. where two former twins, two very you know well loved former twins, uh, come in and just play really well for the Rockies in the twilights of their careers. Batting title for both of them, and awesome. a home run derby for both of them. Yes. Oh, that's right. Morneau did play yeah. in a home run derby. Yes, he did. Because Tulo picked him to come to Minnesota because Morneau was a last chance, one of the like the final vote candidates that I remember being a part of a Twitter campaign that day where every tweet counted as a vote. And so I spent oh, like yeah. four or five hours just tweeting about Justin <laughs> Morneau. That's so awesome, man. Yeah, yeah Morneau was on my list as one of my one of my picks, so I didn't go with uh, Andres Galarraga because mm. I always really liked Justin Morneau, even when he was with the Twins. And yeah. um, he was the last person to wear number 33 for the Rockies. Um, because he was a fellow Canadian and friends with Larry Walker, so Larry Walker That's told right. him to use the number. That's right. Great memory, man. Yeah, I love Justin Morneau. My guy was, uh, I actually am going to steal Skyler's pick from before we started recording, but I liked Gerardo Parra. Uh, not because he you know, won batting titles or completed in home run derbies like you know the other ones we've mentioned, but just because he was such a great presence in the, in the clubhouse. Uh, he was so fun and energetic, and he really lifted everyone up around him uh he went you know and did the same thing with the nationals with the whole baby shark situation so i was always a big para guy and i love seeing um just his energy uh, yeah it's, it's super not fair to, to gerardo uh who i always like to call el presidente uh para for president <laughs> but truth like it wasn't his fault that the the rockies signed him like they had been doing a lot at the time to a very bloated veteran contract that was way over his market value and then he underperformed that first season and everyone wanted his head because you know we signed him to a very expensive deal and he's just not living up to Mm -hmm. it but performance or not para was really really important during those um 2017 and 2018 playoff runs just as that clubhouse presence everybody loved him he was infectiously positive and always having a great time I loved him for that. Like even after his his debut season with the Rockies, where, like, admittedly he wasn't very good. After that, he's just such a a great, energetic guy that you can't help but like him. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, yeah, man. Let us know on Twitter what you guys want to do uh, as far as your picks. Uh, I'd love to hear. Anyone that agrees to some of the picks we mentioned today, anyone that has other picks we have not yet mentioned, we would, of course, love to hear from you guys uh, as far as what these picks are for your favorite free agent signing of the Rockies. And now we get into the week in review. Let's discuss what we've seen from the Rockies in the past uh, seven days. we got to talk about the pitching staff. Sensatella, Antonio Sensatella has been phenomenal. Uh, he has really turned in a very nice second half specifically. And that continued this past week with a couple more fantastic uh, outings. And then specifically, man, the bullpen has been great. 
Rockies just finished up, or I guess are about to finish up by the time y'all listen to this, a road trip to a couple different spots in the NL East, playing Philadelphia, playing Atlanta, and then as we record today, they are set to begin their series with the Washington Nationals. And, you know, a road trip like that, you asked us about that three months ago, and we were shaking in our boots, but would you believe they actually have played fantastically in the past uh, week or so? So I want to, before we get into the actual idea of playing spoiler for these teams, I want to talk about this pitching staff that has looked so good over the past week. So any thoughts you guys have on Sensatella or the bullpen, uh, Kinley and Sheffield and Stevenson, Gilbert, Chassis, and all the guys we've seen coming out of that back end of the bullpen, anything you guys got on the pitching staff as of late? So I'll talk about Sensa Taylor really quick because, as I have said before, I am a huge Sensa Taylor mark. I love this guy. Uh, I've been pulling for him mm. since before he made his nice debut. Mark, He's really having a career year where in 25 starts, he's got an ERA of 406, which is one of the lower marks in the rotation right now, um, just above Herman Marquez, who's got a 393. He has gone past his uh, most innings pitched, and he's still rolling. So a lot of other guys are starting to hit the wall, like we've discussed earlier, but uh, Senzi just hit 144 innings with his last start, and he still seems to be doing really well. And a lot of this is how he pitches, is that he is not necessarily a strikeout pitcher. He's been getting more strikeouts recently, and he's about to set a career high for strikeouts. But his main thing is pitch to contact, ground ball induction. He's a ground ball specialist, so he's going to give up a lot of hits, mm-hmm. but he's not necessarily going to give up a lot of runs. And that's what we're seeing from him right. this year, where he's got that ERA of 406. He's not really giving up that many home runs compared to uh, his other compatriots in the rotation. And he's now got seven quality starts in a row, which is, uh, I believe it ties the record with. I think it was Armand Marquez and Kyle Freeland in 2018 both had seven in a row. He's just Mm -hmm. been really, really, really good. And his uh, last couple outings, he's gone at least six innings every start since August 11th. And that's where his uh, quality start streak starts. So he goes six, seven, six, seven, seven, six, six. He quality start every game. He's even getting some decent strikeout totals in there. He has uh, two games where he has... Uh, more than six and he has three where he has more than five which is you know not something we normally see from him and it speaks a lot to how he's developed where he Mm -hmm. really has improved his pitch arsenal a couple years ago was he needed to really add some more pitches especially some potential strikeout stuff because in 2009 um, 2019 pardon me I think it was that he had the lowest K9 in the league where he just he couldn't strike anybody out. But since then, he's added some pitches, um, particularly mm-hmm. he's gotten that changeup working, that changeup that's so important to the Rockies pitching staff. And he's been great. I love Sensi. He's been so fantastic. And he's only 26. He's so, he's so young. He's under team control until 2024. He's great. I love Sensi Taylor. <laughs> yeah, I've been on the Sansa hype train for a couple of years now, man, and it's so great to see him really start to put it all together. And I know we've talked at length about how great this young Rockies rotation is, but man, he is just yet another key part of this young pitching core that you love to love to love, love, love to see. Uh, what do you got, Skyler? 
just really quick with Senzatella and the rest of the rotation is it's just been fun to watch these guys grow over the years. Yes. Because Senzatella came up and he was mostly just throwing fastballs, but now over the years we've seen him add other pitches and you no, know, we've seen these guys start off as throwers and then we've been watching them turn into pitchers, which has been really fun to see that growth and that's the fun part of having a homegrown rotation is if you stick with these guys and you can you get that enjoyment of seeing them grow and become successful. So good on him. Uh, something I wanted to transition over to with the bullpen is they actually haven't been terrible as of late, yeah. which has been surprising to everybody because it's obviously been one of their biggest weak po- weak points this whole season. Uh, we've had guys that kind of go on a hot streak and then they fall off or other guys that have just struggled all season. Right. And as of now, it's a little little bit more confidence in the bullpen, I guess, watching as a fan, where the Bud Black's kind of jumbled it around again. We've seen it kind of be rearranged, guys going into different roles, and we're seeing them fall in and they're becoming successful. Specifically, the guys we wanted to shout out was Tyler Kinley. He's been very good as of late. After some rough early goings this season, uh, Robert Stevenson's been pretty nails, and along with Jordan Sheffield and Lucas Gilbreth, we've talked about, and Yuli Chassin, who who would have thought that the guy we signed as our long reliever would turn into our setup man? For real, <laughs> I don't know if anybody had that on their. Rockies 2021 bingo card, but. (laughs) Well, it's interesting you say that because a lot of this newfound confidence in the bullpen comes from the the recent retooling of everybody's roles that we did, starting with when Daniel Bard was removed from the closing role. Exactly. You know, because I think we've talked about it before, whether on the podcast or in, you know, we talked on Twitter and our Purple Rose Slack channel that, you know, it seemed like Bud Black was just going to, flip Daniel Bard into the eighth in Estevez. But uh, that uh, I think we all agree that that didn't feel right. But now we're seeing Daniel Bard's kind of getting pushed back into that sixth, seventh inning role where a little less, lever- little less pressure on him, he can try and find himself again. And you know, we've seen these other guys kind of step up and really perform well. I don't know. It seems like Tyler Kinley comes in. He's kind of the, the fireman to come out when there's a jam, there's guys on base, and you can kind of put him out there with some confidence that, you know, for the most part, he can, he has a better chance of getting you out of it and not letting things get out of hand. Mm-hmm. And, well, still all all these guys aren't necessarily like still the, you know, for sure 100% lockdown. They're going to come in and shut the door every single time, but, no, they're still going to come in, at least keep you in the game, not let things get out of hand. Know, which is nice to see, as you know, especially when our starters are going like six innings or five, six innings, to have that length out of your bullpen, to be able to finish out a game, that's that goes a long way. Kinley is interesting too because he, in the middle of the season, had been struggling a lot more than we were used to because in 2020 he was one of our best bullpen guys. Yes. But it all starts for him after August 7th is when he really locked things down. So on August 7th against Miami, he gave up four earned runs and his ERA went up to 517. And since then, he only has 
two games where he's given up a run and only one game where he's given up more than one. And that's across 16 appearances. He's got 24 strikeouts to only four walks. Uh, batting average against of 175, on base percentage against of 224, and a slugging of just 317. So he has given up three home runs, but he's only given up three runs in that period. So, and he's got nine games where he's got multiple strikeouts in the inning plus of work that he's done. So he's really locked it down, and I am super happy to see that because he was such a nice surprise last year. Well, yeah, and like. Him and, like, Robert Stevenson, who we haven't talked a whole lot about this season, but, no, he's actually been a fairly quality piece in that Jeff Hoffman trade prior to the season where, you know, he's been pretty serviceable for the most part, but especially as of late, you know, he can come in, come in late in a ball game at some point or in bases loaded jam or something and and get you out of it. Mm -hmm. And so it's just... I know all of us have had those times watching a Rockies game where, oh, man, I I hope our starter can go at least seven innings because I don't know about this bullpen. You know, and as of late, we're able to have a little bit more confidence where, no, I don't start sweating bullets as much if Kyle Freeland or um, Armand Marquez can only go six innings where I can have some confidence like, okay, we're leading by two. I feel a little bit better about our chances here because we've got Lucas Gilbreth coming in. We got Yuli Shasin able to pitch the eighth inning. You know, it, it's nice having some confidence in a spot that hasn't instilled much confidence over the past couple of years. Absolutely, man. It's interesting for Robert Stevenson too because he's another one of those guys where and I've talked about with Carlos Estevez before. Of on the socials, you see everyone complaining when he comes out of the bullpen. But he's been really, really solid overall. Same stretch of time, after August 7th to today. So starting on August 10th and going up until today, Robert Stevenson has 13 appearances. Um, He's only given up four total runs. And he's coming off of just getting his uh, first save of the season when it really mattered against the Atlanta Braves in that super soggy game uh, the other day where it was just raining the whole time. He's got one of the lowest ERAs on the bullpen on the team in general at 366, and he's been he's been a quality acquisition. And people will be like, "Oh, Hoffman's been doing better in Cincinnati," but Stevenson's been doing better for us than he had been doing in Cincinnati. So I think it was mm-hmm. a good trade for both players in the end, where a change of scenery has allowed them to succeed. Absolutely, and yeah, change of scenery can sometimes be all it takes for some of these guys, man. And look, change of scenery can also mean different roles, right? We mentioned that earlier. Chassin, as we both alluded to at the start of this segment, like was signed as a long relief guy. Maybe get some innings starting if you can, you know, hold it down for someone that's maybe hurt or come back from a rehab assignment or something. And it turns out Chassin has been the primary setup man for half the season, longer. And he's been great. He's done a fantastic job in that role. And like Evan said, like you rejigger the whole bullpen to that point and now you've got guys in positions that they haven't normally pitched in and they are excelling in these roles um you know daniel bard having been lifted as the you know closer going into the sort of eighth inning role gives him a little bit less pressure to kind of stabilize himself maybe put those fastballs where he wants to put them 
Carlos Estevez finally getting an opportunity to really close out games consistently. It's been a really cool change to see. And, you know, like you said, the, the change of scenery in location and change of scenery in role can make a really big difference with these guys. Yeah, because Daniel Bard, it's it's tougher to notice with him, especially because, you know, he's been struggling so much this year. And it makes you want to give him less benefit of the doubt. But since being moved out of the closing spot, he has improved. Mm-hmm. Especially when he's pitching earlier in the game. Um, in games where he has pitched in, you know, the sixth or seventh, he's been pretty solid. He struggled a bit in that last game against Atlanta, where I don't really blame him that much because that whole game was a wet, soggy slog, and the Braves are really good. But he didn't give up any runs. He walked two batters and only got one out. But then he ceded away to Lucas Gilbreth, who was phenomenal. Uh, and I'll talk about him in just a sec, but he is improving, I think, now that he is out of the extremely high-pressure role of being the closer. And Carlos Estevez has stepped into that role really nicely, where since being named the closer uh, back towards the end of August, he's really only had one bad game. He has one blown save, uh, and that was against the one of the best teams in the league in the San Francisco Giants. And they put up a four spot on him. And yeah, that stank. It happens. Like nobody's going to be perfect, but he's been really, really solid where that game against the Giants was the only game since, gosh, going back to like July 18th, where he's given up more than one earned run. Mm -hmm. Uh, He didn't give up an earned run in the entire month of August. And here in September, you know, only three games out of like the seven or eight that he's pitched has he given up a run. He's getting strikeouts at a decent clip. He's not really walking people. He's been really good. And I think this speaks to his development as a pitcher where in the last couple of years, he's definitely struggled and he was definitely struggling in string training uh, this year. But he is healthy. He's confident, and he's definitely earning his spot as a a guy we can definitely lean on. And we're seeing that from a lot of different guys, and what's really great to see is we're seeing it from rookies. And that's where I want to talk about Jordan Sheffield and Lucas Gilbert. And I'll start with Jordan Sheffield, because he hasn't pitched as much since uh, coming back from long-term injury. He was on the 60-day injured list with that oblique strain. Mm -hmm. Um but he's pitched three games since coming back in the month of September on the 5th, 7th, and 10th. Hasn't given up a single run. Hasn't given up a single hit. Has only walked one. He's not striking out guys as much as he was previously, but think about how long he was shut down for that he was still able to come back in and get results. And he's got the lowest ERA on the Rockies active roster right now of 2.82. He's been great. He's been such a great story this year where he's a Rule 5 pick. He makes the roster out of training camp and immediately starts making a difference. He didn't give up his first run until the very end of April. And he has not had an ERA over 3-5 the entire season. And granted, he's only pitched about 22 and a third innings and 22 appearances. But think about how that also means... He's finishing all of the innings of work he's being given. 
So he's been really, really important, especially for a Rule 5 pick we got from the Dodgers. So that's yeah. awesome that we were able to steal someone away from the Dodgers <laughs> and continue their <laughs> development and have them be such an important part of this bullpen. And I think going forward, he's going to be an important part of this bullpen because he's another one of those guys who's really, really young. Um, his rookie status is intact through the end of this year and should go into part of next year. He's only 26 years old, like a lot of these other really young guys. So we can lean on him as a guy that you know we brought in and can definitely definitely rely on. And then the other guy I want to talk about, and I know I've been talking for a hot minute, so after this I'll I'll let y'all chime in on here is Lucas Gilbreth. Lucas Gilbreth has been phenomenal. Yeah, he is. Every single game he goes out there, we've seen him get better and better and better. After he started off kind of struggling, he had an ERA up at like 10-13 in May. But then since his second call-up, he's been getting regular pitching appearances, and he's been great. He's got 14 straight outings without giving up a run. He has only given up since in those 14 outings, like five walks and he's getting plenty of strikeouts he's been a real workhorse for the team bullpen wise where this rookie has 38 appearances in 35 innings and he's got another one of those really low eras one of the few eras below four on the team at 386 and that's another guy he's only 25 he's super young he had never pitched above a level ball before this season and his development has been so crucial and so important as a bullpen guy that the Rockies developed that is now very young and we can rely on for the foreseeable future. And that's so, so important in the long term. And it, with all of these guys in the long term is that we are, I think, finally starting to see our bullpen solidify. Bang. Yeah, Yeah. How's that for a breakdown? Yeah, and I think what's nice with everything is oh, Bud Black. I, the thing with bullpens, what's nice is you know, I, I hate the idea that everybody's already in their set role, and no matter what happens, they're stuck in that role. You know, and I think baseball is, I think, starting to come around to the idea like you need to mix up your bullpen more and more than in, than in years past because – you know Daniel Bard, he just they stuck with him there in the bullpen in the closer role until it got to a point where like yeah he's he's just not doing it anymore because these these outings just keep racking up one after another we need a change and you know, it's it's good to kind of give guys different roles have them earn those roles and instead of just having the de facto oh you're gonna have this role because of who you are type of thing or you're the veteran so you're going to get the closer role whereas these guys need to learn and develop those opportunities get regular pitching opportunities oh and especially for this team is giving these guys a chance to succeed and also you know help them deal with those failures as well because we've seen guys that are you know expect to be good pieces but they haven't been able to pitch as much because you know they're kind of loose cannons <laughs> unpredictable variables where you know I'd love to see Julian Fernandez pitching more but unfortunately he's trying to work through some things now at the big league level where he can get back to where he was when he's zipping fastballs in there 
or but, against Almonte. Yeah. You know, and a part of that can also, you know, put some of that over on the you know, offense where the offense isn't providing enough kind of buffer or insurance where Bud Black can then put in some of those guys or instead he's having to go back to those guys he can rely on and trust because, you know, they still want to try and win ball games. And so Bud Black's going to put out his best weapons out there. And if the offense doesn't give you enough buffer kind of in a blowout role or, or something, and fortunately our starting pitching can limit damage where they're not blowouts, so those guys aren't pitching either. In those instances, you know, it it's just like we've talked about before, giving guys opportunities to consistently pitch and contribute and get those experiences at the big league level. Yeah, and it really is like I I hate to harp on the oh you got to earn it because we've made fun of that with this team in the past where all the 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 rookies don't get to play because they haven't earned their opportunity yet. But earning it is a lot more important I think in the bullpen than anywhere else because especially when you know the offense like you said the offense is struggling or um, we're needing specifically these guys that we know that we can turn to every time that unfortunately you're going to lose your chance to get more action. And I want to go back to Yancey Almonte on that front because Yancey was really, really struggling at the beginning of this season. He didn't have an ERA below 10 for the majority of the season. He just looked like a completely different pitcher pitcher compared to what we saw last year. Mm -hmm. And in August, he started to fight his way back into getting regular time where he only had um, three earned runs allowed in the entire month of August and finally got that ERA starting to go down. But then we really haven't seen him work that much in September because he started off the month struggling again, where right. in his he's had three appearances in the month of September and he's given up five earned runs across those appearances. And... It's really tough because I love Yancey, and I think he's an absolutely uh, incredibly talented young man. He's a really, really nice guy, incredibly you know, confident most of the time. But yeah. he's unfortunately losing pitching time, and he's been one of, if not the, I think, by pitching war, least valuable contributors to this team this year. And so I don't really know what course of action is going to be with him because the Rockies have decisions they need to make roster-wise. And you need to think, is it you know possible that Yenzi's maybe pitched himself off of the Rockies at this point? Which would be be really lousy because, like I said, I love Yenzi and I want nothing more to, than for him to succeed. But... This year, he has just struggled so much that something needs to be done about it. Yeah. yeah. It's one of those things where, yes, he's still under team control, but you know, is his performance still worthwhile when there's plenty of other options you can perhaps go out and get or develop more than what he's producing at the moment? So Exactly. Yeah, it is something that you have to consider because when you have – such a tremendous uh, turnaround for the bullpen, an outlier like that hurts that much more, you know? So that, that is a good point. Um, yeah, man, it's been great to see the, the change and the Rockies just full on team mentality of, you know, 
we'll survive in the pitching department, but we're going to batter you with our bats and then bludgeon you to death and win games 12 to 9 or 8 to, you know, 6. But instead, the Rockies have really, really developed their pitching and have become a top-flight defensive and pitching team. And it's been really cool to see that mentality change and how that has trickled down to these young starters and all these young uh, relievers that are really getting it done recently and, and all these relievers that could be around for years, hopefully. So it is great to see this pitching core really coming together here in the second half. I have one guy left I want to shout out because I feel I owe him a bit of an apology is Ashton Godot, who he's not been like top flight, but he has been coming in and being an innings eater when we need him to be where almost every one of his appearances so far this year with the Rockies has been two plus innings. Uh, three of the six have been three plus innings and that's something that the Rockies need is a good long-term guy because unfortunately with Chi Chi being injured and just not really having his stuff this year compared to even last year and uh, Julius Chassin being moved to, you know, late game setup kind of guy, uh, Godot has stepped in and he's been fairly solid. So he does have two multiple run games given up, but one of those was across three and a third innings. And so I think He's going to be one of those guys who he is earning some more playing time just out of the long relief guy. And I've I've given him a lot of grief on the show. I've given him grief on you know, social media because he's a rookie that is almost 30 years old. And he's just been bounced so much from team to team. But if this stint with the Rockies in this final stretch of the season can be where he, you know, can cement himself a place on a big league roster, great. I'm all for it. Mm. Turns out when you're not racking up frequent flyer miles, somebody can actually be a good pitcher. If you actually get a chance to set your feet and really start to just throw the ball at the catcher, turns out that actually works pretty well, huh? When you get to, like, sleep in an apartment or a house instead of the airport hotel. Yeah. When you don't have to be living out of your suitcase. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, man. Yeah, man, I, I love this top-up bullpen. This is one of my great loves. It's a great late-inning core, and I love hearing stuff about this, um, how, just how this developed and how this has come to be for the Rockies. We do desperately need to take an ad break here, so we'll go ahead and do that. Stick with us. we got a lot more to talk about. We're going to talk about the uh, road trip the Rockies just finished up or are finishing up at the time you listen to this. Talk about the AL MVP race. And then we're going to talk about some predictions we had at the start of the season and how well they have aged or, in some cases, maybe how uh, poorly they have aged. So stick with us through this ad break. We'll be right back here in just a minute. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And we are back. We have returned from our ad break, and I'm back here with my two favorite Looney Tunes, Skylar and Evan. Uh, we are going to real quickly touch on a bit of Rockies news, uh, just real briefly. But first things first, we got to talk about the NL West and specifically the Dodgers and Giants have officially clinched their postseason spots. So the first two teams in baseball to do so. Uh, this has been a tight race all season. As we open up our record, 
of this race, and who do you have coming out at the end of the season once game 162 wraps up? So what's nice with the NL West is the Rockies have some say in who's going to be that division champion as both Mm -hmm. of those teams are coming for their final games against the Rockies at Coors Field, I think next week, this upcoming week, so the week that this was put, episode's put out, I think we'll have the Dodgers and the Giants coming in, and you know the Rockies will kind of have a say if they can, you know, whatever wins they get or losses they take kind of could impact whatever the race is. Personally, I'd like to see the Giants do it because I'm sick of the Dodgers winning it every year. Yeah, and they're totally at the moment they're the lesser of two evils, even though I do not like the Dodgers or the Giants getting it again after they had it for so many years themselves. So mm-hmm. we'll see. We will see. Evan? Uh I'd much rather have the Giants win the division just because they've been the way more interesting story this season. Mm-hmm. Um but it really is I do like that we sort of have somewhat of a say in the destiny of the division here because they both clinch. They're both going to the playoffs. Right. The Dodgers are currently in that first wild card spot where they are seven team games up. There's the only wild card spot in play for the National League is the second one. So at the very least, we have some control over who's going to win the division or not. Um because they are both coming within the next week. And hopefully should be some really fun late season baseball because oh, yeah. while the Rockies don't really have much to play for in terms of their own destiny, they can, at the very least, see if they can get to 500 or not because we're only 10 games below 500 right now. And they can sort of play spoiler to potential division winners or wild card recipients like we've been sort of doing as we tear our way through the NL East right now. Seriously. And talk about that real quick, Evan. Just a real quick uh, rundown of what's what's up with the NL East. Uh, we've just been going out there and getting it done. Um, especially, we took three of four against the Phillies. And then we just took um, two games against the Braves, where the third game, unfortunately, had to get postponed and potentially canceled. We might see it get played on, like, October 4th or something, if it is playoff relevant for the Braves that um, we potentially could have swept them. And then we're about to go into Washington, which is meaningless for them, but we're just sort of tearing away across the NL East right now. Mm -hmm. And if we can keep that momentum rolling, we actually do have somewhat of a role to play in the wild card and division standings where, uh, you know, Philadelphia and... Uh, some other teams are you know, on the outside looking in for this final wild card spot. Philadelphia is two and a half games back after the Rockies are through with them. Uh, the Reds currently are only a game behind, and the Padres are um, like half a game behind. So it's just fun that the Rockies sort of, you know, while we're not necessarily playing for ourselves we have a little bit of control we can exercise over the destinies of some other teams right now. Absolutely. It is pretty fun being spoiler for some of these other teams, man. So uh, a real just brief uh, bit of Rockies news as we talk about what happens with the rotation and everything. We've got Peter Lambert, who I'm sure if you guys listen to our uh, brothers, Kenneth Weber 
and uh, Justin Wick on the Pebble Report podcast. You've heard plenty of information about. They do a great job breaking down the Rockies minor league system. Uh, Peter Lambert's on the mend as the AAA season gets ready to come to an end. He's more than likely to come up and join the Rockies here in the last little bit of the season. Just a quick little... Um, yeah, no. Evan, if you want to give me like a quick little shout-out on what you think we can see from Peter Lambert here towards the end of this here season. So he's probably going to get at least one or two starts as we roll through. He uh-huh. had his first rehab start at the AAA level uh-huh. uh, yesterday and pitched quite well for himself where um, I had his stats just pulled up. Give me just one moment. My bad, man. <laughs> um, so he started for the Isotopes versus the Sugar Land Skeeters. He went two and a half innings, allowed two hits with no runs, and struck out three. Uh, he threw across that almost three innings. 44 pitches is not bad. Yeah, not it's a bad. little over uh, a little over 15 an inning and 27 of which for strikes. That is a that is a really good higher level rehab start when he was a little all over the place in some of the lower levels. That's actually something we've seen with people rehabbing recently is where they're not doing as good at the lower mm-hmm. levels of play but then they get back up to AAA and they start doing well. Uh, and Lambert is definitely, uh, as far as I'm concerned, it sounds like Bud Black is um, pretty sure as well that he's going to make at least a start or two here towards the end of the season. Yeah, absolutely, man. And that'd be cool to see, just yet more depth added. Uh, and we talk about depth. How about the depth of this AL MVP race, man? This has been crazy. So right now, again, as we record on Friday morning, there are two, maybe three serious contenders for the AL MVP. Now, Typically speaking, someone wins a triple crown, you just hand them the trophy. Vlad Guerrero Jr. has a very serious chance at a triple crown. He has tied the lead, again, so this might be out today by the time you all hear it, but he's up there in RBIs. He, uh, I believe, is tied with home runs, and he is up there with the average uh, of the American League hitters. So, normally speaking, if someone wins a triple crown, it's fair to say that they are the favorite for the MVP. But at the same time, you've got someone like Shohei Otani, who is literally remaking the game of baseball. He has been a phenomenal hitter and has been an average to above average pitcher as well. It sounds like we got some news recently. He might be done pitching for the season, but there's, you know, barely a month left. Not even just a few short weeks here left in the season. So, you know, you've got that to consider of, yeah, he's not going to win the Triple Crown, but he has been the best two-way player ever, maybe. But then... You've got the dark horse in Salvador Perez, who many were kind of expecting the Royals to not be great, for lack of a better term, this season. And here comes this catcher, this veteran player, who is on an absolute tear. Again, he is tied with Vlad for the league lead in home runs and is having a phenomenal MVP caliber season. So open floor to whoever. I think, like we were talking about, this is a very interesting race because yeah if somebody's winning the triple crown yeah you're probably just gonna a shoe in to win that mvp but unfortunately to <laughs> the dismay of vladimir guerrero jr you have shohei otani who's doing something that's never been done before in baseball history never. where you no know, here's a guy who's hitting has over 45 bombs oh and he also has won nine games as a pitcher mm-hmm. and has a sub four ERA, like a three thirty eight ERA, and has done a very good job pitching and has really carried the Angels team. Oh, and I think he might even lead all of baseball in war this year. He's very close. 
So mm-hmm. I think for Otani seems like the shoe in that you know, more or less he's going to get the MVP just from what he's done all year and everything. Yeah. But, you know, Vladdy is really making his case of, you know, yeah, I'm not a pitcher, but look what I've done. And I think the conversation goes to look at the surround the supporting pieces where no Vladdy has a team built around him that can give him more support where he can shine, but it's still, you still have plenty of pieces on that blue Jays team. That's helping contribute. Whereas you look over at the angels, uh, here's another struggling year after they've lost Mike Trout. Yep. They're dealing with injuries. Their pitching is still whatever angels pitching is because for some reason they keep buying extreme big contracts for position players but won't spend mm-hmm. on pitching <laughs> mm-hmm. and so no I think it's a tough one but for me I think Otani still gets it just from everything he's done this year uh, in a perfect world all the writers would collaborate and make sure that it's a tie because there's only been one MVP <laughs> tie in the history of baseball and I think they could do it again but that would take a lot of organization. Yes. <laughs> that's the ideal world. That's what would happen. Co-MVPs. Co-MVPs. I like that. What do you got, Evan? You think uh, Otani takes it home or you got something else? So it's it's so tough because you the American League is really bursting at the seams for some talent this year, which is which is always really fun. And I don't think Salvi Perez is, is really a, a candidate to win the MVP at this point just because – He's having an incredible career season, and he can potentially, you know, set the home run record for catchers. And he's putting up career numbers in pretty much every category for himself right now. Mm-hmm. But he just com- gets completely blown off the radar by Shohei Otani and, and Vladdy Jr., where, like like y'all have said, in the normal world. Vladdy Jr. is a shoe-in right now, where he is incredibly close to winning the Triple Crown. He leads the league in home runs. He has incredible numbers in every category. He's got a batting average of 317, on-base percentage 406, slugging 611 for an OPS of 1.017. Mm-hmm. Those are some insane numbers. Like, that's bananas here. And for 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 Vladdy Jr., there's really only a couple guys who are ahead of him for anything. Um, Starling Marte is ahead of him for batting average right now, I think, but not by a lot. And uh, Bryce Harper and Juan Soto are ahead of him for on base. And then they're all uh, Harper and Tatis Jr. are ahead of him for slugging percentage. But you really just can't discount how crazy and weird and unique Shohei Otani has been where not only does he have 44 home runs and a slugging percentage of almost 600 and an on-base percentage of over 350 and 94 RBIs and a war of 7.8 per baseball reference but then He's also been a really, really strong starting pitcher where he's got an ERA of 3.36 across 115 and one-thirds innings. Yeah. And an ERA plus of like 134. He's been so, so good where he will 
go to the plate and mash a home run against you and then immediately come back out and strike you out. It's it, yeah, I love this race. I think this is so fun because you've got a guy like Otani who again, not to belabor this point, but is like literally redefining what like we don't even have a name for his role. Like you know what I mean? Like, he's a pitcher and a hitter, and he's great at both. But then you also have Vlad Guerrero Jr., who has only been in the league for a cup of coffee at this point, and has immediately made an unbelievable impact. He has hit more home runs in a season now than his father did, which is fantastic. Like, it's so cool to me. Personally, I also have to give it to Otani. Any other year, any other year where Shohei Otani's not in the league, it's Vlad's. And it's not close. It's certainly Vlad's. But how could you possibly give it to anybody else, to a guy that has changed the way the game baseball is played? So I love it. I think it's great. And I am so excited to see who ends up winning it. And I'm with Skyler. I would love to see a tie. I think it'd be so much fun. <laughs> and then this this conversation will probably be not quite as in-depth, but NL MVP, as we're talking, a couple people have considered that for Tatis Jr., he was probably in the lead for a lot of the year just because of how uh, strong he's performed for the Padres, but he's had some injury issues. It looks like it might now be Bryce Harper's. What do you all think as far as the NL MVP? You got Harper, you got Tatis, you got somebody else? I, I think it's kind of that same thing where I think Harper gets it just because you look at what you know what Harper's working with, whereas Tatis, you know, a Padres team where they've spent a lot, there's a lot of pieces that, Oh, that have contributed to the Padres, and unfortunately, mm-hmm. they've kind of all floundered. And Tatis has had his struggles, but he also hasn't been on the field as much. He's been injured a lot this mm-hmm. year, several different times where he's gone on the injured list. And while I still think a lot of people think he's the favorite, you can't count out Bryce Harper and really what he's done for the Phillies, where he has carried that team, put it on his back, yeah. and it just seems like every night Harper's doing something, having a big hit for the Phillies to get him another victory in their chase there in the NL East. And, you know, I'm one of those people where you're standing, you know, your team's standing in the playoffs picture shouldn't really matter as much in, you know, in determining the MVP because not all teams are created equal. Because look how many times Mike Trout was playing on a team that wasn't even close to making the playoffs, yet he wins the MVP because he was – the best player and when Harper's you know he's had that added benefit where he has almost single-handedly been a driving force in pushing the Phillies towards the playoffs and he you know doesn't have as big of supporters around him you know they still have to deal with all that pitching and everything no more JT Ramuto's kind of had a rough year not as not as great but still pretty decent Reese Hoskins has mm-hmm. dealt with injuries no, you, mm-hmm. there's not as big of pieces around him, you know, a, as strong a supporting cast or as Harper's just had a phenomenal year. And he's a big reason the Phillies are where they're at right now. So I think Bryce Harper might get his second MVP this year. Absolutely. You got Harper, Evan? I think it is going to end up going to Harper. Looking at their stats, Tatis and Harper are actually really, really close to each other in a lot of different ways. Um, So, Tatis actually leads in slugging by a little bit over Harper. Um, But Harper, of course, leads in on-base percentage. 
by um, by war overall, Tatis is leading Harper both offensively and overall. But Harper currently does have that um, that crazy OPS of it's like one point zero five five or something. It's the highest in the league. And while Tatis does have an OPS over one, Harper really has. He's the guy you're hearing about recently who's really surging to sort of try and push the Phillies into that playoff spot. Mm-hmm. Whereas you know, Tatis has had his injuries this year. He hasn't missed nearly as much time as he was expected to. So he's played 114 games compared to Harper's 125. Um, but I think in the end, it's probably going to be Harper just because he, he does have that advantage where he's a far more established player and he really has been a bigger name in pushing his team to the top. Tatis definitely has a chance. And if he doesn't win it, I think he's definitely going to come in second for voting. He's got 39 home runs, 91 RBIs, uh, 25 stolen bases. He's been really, really strong this season. And I think it's really cool that in both leagues, one of the major MVP candidates is only 22 years old. Yeah. How about that? The future is now. The future is now, though. Like, it's so cool to me. I, you guys know I harp on this a lot, that, like, huh, harp, uh, that I love how many young stars there are in today's game. And it is so great to see that we're having MVP conversations about guys that are barely old enough to rent a car. Like, I think it's a blast. We talked about the AL MVP and Vlad, specifically Vlad, of course, playing for the Blue Jays, in that tough AL East. That division is gnarly right now. I think for a long time there was a period where people could have reasonably considered the Rockies to be in the toughest division, that NL West with the Giants, the Padres, the Dodgers, the Dimebacks were pretty good for a while. Like the NL West was no joke, but you look at this season's AL East, four out of the five teams, the Orioles were officially mathematically eliminated from the playoffs today, but four remaining teams, the White White Sox, the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Blue Jays, and the Tampa Bay Rays all have winning records. Are they the best division in baseball? Is the AL East the toughest division in baseball? And if it isn't, who is? I think it is. Yeah, I think. If not the best, then definitely the most competitive. Yeah, I yeah, I think that especially because you know you get so many different styles of teams. Um, you have the tanking method, which is the Orioles. <laughs> uh, right. You have <laughs> you have the young Bucks, which is. You know, kind of the the Blue Jays method. Uh, they have a lot of young guys, but then they bring in supplemental pieces to build around that core. You have the free-spending mm-hmm. Yankees who go big or go home. Uh, mm-hmm. And then whatever the Red Sox do, <laughs> they're yeah. kind of in that same ballpark. Right. They kind of fluctuate. And then the Rays, who are among probably the smartest team in baseball, who know how to maximize on a budget. So no, yes. it, I think it you have all these different tools that can compete really well with each other. And ultimately that results mm-hmm. in one of the best divisions in baseball. Yeah. It's so deep with the talent in that division, man, isn't it? What do you got, Evan? Cause the, the NL West is, is way more top heavy because both the giants and the Dodgers right now have 90 plus wins. Giants have 95 Dodgers have 94. The Padres are in the playoff hunt still, but they have 20 less wins. They only have 76 wins right now. And then you have the Rockies and, of course, the Diamondbacks, who are um, going to 
hit 100 losses here this season. I think it's really interesting that both divisions have um, their basement dweller is 47 and 99 right now in yeah. the Orioles and in the Diamondbacks, which uh, that's a bummer. But yeah. the, the AL East is definitely the most competitive and definitely, I think, the most exciting division in baseball this year because in the West, in the NL West, yeah, the Dodgers and the Giants have run away with it. Right. But everything is so close right now where all of these teams except for the Rays are within a game of each other. Mm-hmm. 80, 82, 83, 82. The the current wild card sponsor locked up by Toronto and Boston, but the Yankees are only a game back. Mm-hmm. And the the Rays are going to win that division. Yeah, I, I, I think the AL East is, if not the best, then definitely the most interesting and competitive of all of them. Yeah. Yeah, it's sort of like how the uh, NL West used to be a, a couple years back, right? Where you had the Dodgers uh, taking the division, but then you know the Rockies and the Diamondbacks and the Padres are all in the you know wild card hunt. And now you've got that flipped over in the other side of the country now, where it's like, like you just said, like the the Rays are probably going to take the division. They have an eight game lead. It's going to be hard to you know surpass them in the last couple weeks here. But the Yankees and the Red Sox are right there. The the Blue Jays have that first wild card spot. Can they hang on to it? You know, it's going to be crazy exciting to see how these teams match up towards the end of the season and seeing who finally takes home, if not the division, because it's probably the Rays, but certainly those last couple wild card spots. And then last little bit of business for us today. This will be kind of a, a neat little uh, throwback here. We have some predictions from the start of the season. Uh, we were talking about this recently in our Purple Row channel online. I thought it'd be kind of cool to bring this sort of conversation onto the podcast. So at the start of the season, uh, you guys probably saw the article on the site where we had our staff predictions. We talked a lot about who would win these awards, who would win the divisions, any you know wild, outrageous claims you wanted to make and see how well they'd age. And so I thought it'd be kind of cool for us to look back on some of our predictions and see how well they've aged. So I'll actually start this one off. I had the Padres and the White Sox going to the World Series this year. I had the Dodgers winning the division, but I had the Padres taking a wild card spot and beating them in the NLCS. So uh, I don't know. It's not impossible, but the Padres got to do some work to uh, stay alive in this playoff race. I still personally think the White Sox have a chance to go to the World Series, but I mean, I don't know. We talk about that AL East, man. It's be tough to beat any one of those teams. Uh, I had the Cardinals winning the NL Central, which is certainly not happening. And I had Nolan Arnato winning the MVP, which is also certainly not happening. So that has not aged that well. Uh, <laughs> I had, uh, you know, that was rough, whatever. I thought the uh, AL Cy Young winner would be Lucas Giolito. Unlikely to happen. Uh, he's kind of had a down year by his standards. I had the NL Cy Young winner as Jacob deGrom. Also, he had it locked in, but some injury concerns have maybe taken him out of, out of that race. And then, uh, otherwise, my division winners, I had the Twins as a wild card, so no. Uh, my predictions did not age that well. I had the Dodgers winning the, the division, which might still happen. I had the Braves winning their division, which might looks like it is probably going to happen, or at least, you know, they got a good shot to. White Sox winning the AL Central, that's an easy one. Astros winning the AL West, looks like that's, you know, pretty likely. And then I had the Yankees winning the East, which might not happen. So... Little bit of uh, good picks when it comes to division winners. Beyond that, my score sheet looks ugly. How do yours look? Mine's pretty bad too. Is it? Yeah. So um, I had the Rockies' overall record is seventy-one and ninety-one, which is possible. But with the with how the Rockies are playing right now, I think it's possible that they finish the season with under ninety losses. Mm. 
Um, so it's really we're we're just sort of waiting to see on that. I had the Dodgers winning the NL West, which is still possible, but um, the Giants are currently the favorite. The NL Central, I also had the Cardinals, which on, the Brewers have that pretty much locked up. Yeah, and then in the East, I have the Braves, which is, you know, that's probably going to happen. Um, where I really go off the rails is in the AL West, I had the Mariners winning because I I sort of said nuts to it. And mm-hmm. this is the year that they're starting to come out of that rebuild. And for what it's worth, the Mariners have been pretty good this year where they're still fighting for a wild card spot this late in the season. Right. Uh, Central is the White Sox, I think. Pretty much everybody agreed on that. That's a largely uncompetitive division. It's been especially so this year. Kind of the anti-AL East. Yeah, and then the East, I had the Yankees taking it. Um, which, no, nah, the Rays have that locked up. Uh, my wild cards for the NL, I had the Mets, which their late season implosion has sort of taken care of that. And the Padres, yeah. who definitely have a chance to not make it right now because Crazy. of their starting their starting pitching issues. And then in the American League, I had the Rays, who now are looking to win their division, and the Twins, who I don't think anybody predicted were going to implode as much as they did this year, where they've just been, you know, flat out non-competitive. Right. And that was really a shocker because they were a playoff team last year. Um, And then for the World Series, I had Dodgers-Yankees with the Dodgers winning it for a repeat. But who knows if that's going to happen now. And then awards, I have Tatis as the NL MVP, which is entirely possible, but I think it's going to go to Harper. Uh, AL MVP, I had Mike Trout, which is <laughs> yeah, not me too. happen. <laughs> yeah. He's just missed, he's missed so much of this season now, and he's, he's basically not coming back this year. Um, NL Cy Young, I had Jacob deGrom, who, if he hadn't been hurt, I will die on this hill that he would have won it because he no had question. that basically locked down Absolutely. through the all-star break, but then had to get shut down due to injuries. And then the AL Cy Young, uh, I had Garrett Cole winning it. and I That's looking pretty good. That's looking a pretty good pick. It's a good pick, but um, there are some other pitchers in the American League who, who really have a chance to win it, like uh, right. Toronto's Robbie Ray has been just flat-out excellent this year. He has. And... Or Lance Lynn, yeah, Lance Lynn's Lance been a Lynn, real, yeah. real high spot for the for the White Sox this season. So, so my uh, my predictions are a little all over the place. Yeah, but largely pretty good, I think, when it comes to your uh, to your picks. What do you got, Skylar? How are yours looking? Uh, well, I do not have them personally in front of me because I did not get them from our <laughs> editor. Uh, but mine are pretty much along the same lines as your guys's. Uh, yeah, with all the divisions and stuff, everybody kind of went with the mm-hmm. obvious choices. And there have been the nice surprises. I was a little bit higher on the Mets and the Padres, but they've broken all of our hearts with just yes. imploding, especially the Mets, who just Mets, Mets are going to Met. Uh, <laughs> so who knows what happened with them. Uh, I, also, I think I also had the Twins up there in a wild card or something. But I was convinced, man. I was convinced they were going to look good this season. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think one of the, the cool things that I – like was, you know, with some of the purple rolls we had our, you know, our crazy, crazy predictions, uh, and I actually had that prediction that you know MLB will have a triple crown winner, and that one's so far is looking all right. Looking good. I'm just rooting for good. Vladdy so I can say that I'm a wizard or something, but <laughs> you know, he's so easy to get behind, man. But. It, I, 
Uh, kind of along the same lines as the rest he is. Oh, or, yeah, <laughs> you never know with baseball, and yeah, some things are easier to predict than others, and it's always nice to have those surprises. But I did have the Rockies. I think I was one of them that had them like at 72 and 90, somewhere around there. Nice. And Nice. I had 73 and 89, so I'm right there with you. Yeah, I was somewhere around there. Good, good on you. Okay, Evan, what was your uh, outlandish prediction? My outlandish prediction, and it's probably not going to happen, but I'm still holding out hope, gosh darn it, was that Trevor Story signs a long-term deal. I would be incredibly down for that. I am not confident, but I would be very, very down for that. Uh, my prediction was that on June 29th against uh, the Pirates, Raimel Tapia would hit a uh, cycle in the order of Double home run, triple single. Uh, that did not happen. So I'm out of the race. So both of you guys can still get your predictions. I will not be getting mine this season. Uh, but, What's you funny know, is the guy who came closest to hitting for the cycle was Elias Diaz. Literally, yeah. Probably the last guy one would expect to hit uh, for the cycle. But man's come on the second half, man. It's been great to see. And that's it. Let us know on Twitter, man. Let us know at Altitude Effect what you're crazy or, you know, outlandish predictions were for the start of the season you know if you guys had any guesses on what the Rockies record might look like or any guesses on the general state of baseball how are they looking now as we get ready to end this baseball oh man we're getting ready to end this baseball season we'll get a couple more of these oh now I'm bummed yikes it's dawning on me but yeah let us know uh, what y'all thought of your predictions and how well they've aged hopefully they've aged better than mine because mine are stanky and uh, that is it. That is our show wrapped up. We appreciate you always listening in. We, you know, are so grateful to get to do the show this season. Our first as uh, this little trio, man. We got a couple more of these before the season wraps up. And we'll find some fun stuff to do during the off season. But as for today, we appreciate y'all checking in. Uh, Skylar, where can the people get at you on Twitter? You can find me at, at sideline underscore crowd. There it is. And then uh, you can find myself at Cormac Battle Pro, C-O-R-M-A-C Battle Pro. Come talk to me about uh, whether or not Brian Danielson will dethrone Kenny Omega as the All Elite Wrestling Champion. And then Evan, where are the people finding you? Uh, so you can hit me up at, at Evan underscore Lang27. I'd love to hear from you. You can also reach out to us on the official Affected by Altitude Twitter account, which is at Altitude Effect. And real quick before we wrap up, I just wanted to go over. So we are nearing the end of the season here. We've got a couple more weekly episodes left in the tank. Um, So we'll finish out the season at the very least as weekly. Postseason, we have not decided yet, but we're definitely still going to be happening. The offseason, we are probably going to change to a either bi-weekly or um, or bi-monthly or monthly um, format where, Mm -hmm. you know, we're probably not going to go every week just because there's, we're not playing games. So there is way less baseball content there, Right. but you're definitely still going to hear from us and we're still sort of sorting out what we're going to do there. But I did just want to give listeners a heads up that in the off season um, we're, we're going to change from weekly to a uh, bi-monthly or monthly format until spring training starts or starts um, starts winding up into into that time period. And most definitely, and most definitely, when stuff like big stuff happens with the Rockies, absolutely, like when we get that new absolutely. GM like, named Bill Schmidt, or, or, oh. or winter <laughs> or winter meetings or something, you'll definitely hear from us. Absolutely, man. And 
As always, make sure you check it out, purplerow.com. we got daily news, updates, articles, opinion pieces. There's going to be a lot of content dropping there throughout the rest of the season, into the postseason, into the offseason as well. Uh, myself, Evan Schuyler, as well as the rest of the staff are always going to be posting stuff on there. So just make sure you're on there as well. And that's it, man. Again, thanks y'all so much for listening in. We really appreciate all y'all. We'll catch you here same time, same place next week. Skylar, hit him with it. Farewell. And we're out. Thanks, y'all.